Hey there, we're the Westlop Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skoskowspo. Well, you thought you were done with football, but football never sleeps. Uh, <laughs> we got... Um, we have a great guest coming up here in just a little bit. Uh, Matthew Shelton from the Wildcat Report, the uh, managing editor there. Um, he's going to be jumping on with us here in just a second. And uh, very much interested in his... Uh, he wrote an incredible article on the the coaching changes, the, the new coaches coming in. And uh, we're very, very excited to chat with him here in just a sec. Yeah, it's great. This is a guy we've been wanting to have on for a while. I think all of you are familiar of the degree to which you know he's shown up on the scene and wildcat report in the last couple of years and then since he took over as the managing editor he is just cranking out awesome material all the time for wildcat report so we we're stoked to finally get him on oh so without any further ado uh let's go to matthew now well with recruiting uh in the really kind of in the forefront um of, of our minds you know we have our small class of uh 15 guys coming in and we had some more recruiting news coming up. We've got another signing day coming up in February and with all of the coaching news um, again, you know, we recorded last week and nothing was official and I, I still nothing is officially official, but you know, we've seen some of these coaches changing their Twitter profiles and Twitter handles and whatnot. Um, with all that swirling around the football program, we had to get Matthew Shelton on from wildcat report uh, to kind of break us down on all the goings on with the program that we can. Uh, so, Matt, uh, thank you t- for taking the time to jump on with us tonight. Uh, we definitely appreciate it. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Uh, well, first, first off, I, I think you know a lot of our listeners may not know you. I mean, we've had Louie on several times, um, but you know, w- you want to take a moment and just kind of introduce yourself uh, for those who aren't familiar with you. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I graduated Northwestern undergrad in 2022. I've, I've been writing for Louie, started out as a student in, uh, in 2021, kind of wrote for him part-time there for a few years. And then this past fall, um, had a really great opportunity to take a step up and be managing editor and, um, have really made an emphasis on, you know, being there for each game, talking more often to recruits, all, all that fun stuff. Um, taking on a larger role. It's funny, like like Sam was saying, some of our listeners are, I think, might not be aware of you in the way that Sam was saying. And at the same time, I sometimes forget that I'm like, in my head, everyone who listens to this pod also consumes Wildcat Report. So like, I sometimes have to stop and be like, I guess that's not maybe the 100% true, but certainly I think everyone who consumes Wildcat Report who also listens to this pod knows that Right. Like a couple of years back, suddenly you started contributing and suddenly now you're managing editor and your contribution has gone um, way, way up. Like what is I think before we dive deep into all this piece of it, like what has what has that been like for you? Like really, like you said, like fresh out of NU and now diving deep into like the recruiting world. Like what has that process been like for you? Yeah, I think kind of like you said, I think the audience is uh, the audience Venn diagram is pretty close to a circle here, but um <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's been pretty great. I mean, kind of like, to quote David Braun early in the podcast, you know, there's been a lot of pinch myself moments of whether it's being able to go to Wrigley Field or being able to talk and get to know 
some of the guys when they're recruits and then now seeing them play, you know, guys like Michael Kilbane or Anto Saka being from um, in my first couple of years on the job and, and seeing those guys and tracking those guys in high school and now seeing them make an impact at NU is uh, it's all a pretty special experience. I'll be honest. And, you know, Lou, Louie and I always say, I mean, it's obviously great to be, to be working for the site and to be on that side of things, but, you know, we'd be doing a lot of this stuff anyways. You know, if, if we weren't writing and publishing and editing for Wildcat Report, I mean, we'd probably be subscribing. I mean, we're, we'd be watching all the games. This is the kind of stuff that we'd be living for anyways, even if it wasn't, uh, wasn't a great opportunity for us for work. So great when you're able to put all that, you know, put your fandom together and, you know, sort of organically create something. I mean, that's how we started all those years ago. Um, Wanted to dive in and you really kind of talk about this this coaching staff that's coming together. I mean, you had a really great piece on Zach Lujan um, about a, you know, I guess it was like a week and a half ago or so when his name sort of first came up. And, you know, as we've been watching and seeing how the, the winds are flying, I mean, he has changed his, his Twitter profile to a Northwestern logo. So even though there's been no formal announcement, he is going to be the new offensive coordinator. And, you know, I, I know the three of us are just absolutely over the moon with this hire. It, it's fantastic. Absolutely. I mean, I think you have the opportunity for Northwestern to hire a dynamic young offensive mind really for, I want to say first time in about 15 or so years. And you're really, Again, I mean, he, he is younger. He is, I want to say, 28 or 29 and coming from the FCS. But, I mean, when you have the opportunity to see some of the coaching clinic work he's done, to see the product on the field, I mean, I think it's a really exciting time for the program for a side of the ball that has kind of taken a backseat to the defense for quite some time now with him as a chance to be on equal footing. Yeah, I just feel like scheme and creativity is the name of the game right now. And when you you look at the NFL offenses that are having success, you look at the Shanahan tree, you look at um, the LA Rams, what's been going on in Detroit this year, uh, like across the board in college and pro, it's just, it's all about creativity. It's all about deception. It's all about like young thinking that the old, the old ways of football just don't, don't work the way they used to. And that, that like, that's the most exciting thing to me about the whole trend that we've seen on, 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 on coaching. And this goes back to the hires that Fitzgerald was making uh, after last season coming into 2023 being, you know, Braun and then Armand Benz and um, uh, Christian Smith, you know, like the, the, the youth train is going to, and, and, and also getting outside of the Northwestern coaching tree, right. Um, brings in perspective from, other places you get that diversity of thought you start to bring in new ideas and Luhan to me is just like the perfect example of all of that encapsulated in one place who you know who, for a guy who also happens to be like the FCS coach of the year a two-time you know uh, national championship winning offensive coordinator and um it's just it's it, I, I don't know if he's coach of the year but like coordinator of the year I believe um it, it's just it 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 just punctuates um, everything that I feel like I'm seeing across the board of uh, football in, in multiple different levels. And I'm guess I'm curious, like there's a lot of questions about current personnel and how that fits his system. But like what, what, what is exciting you the most about Lujan as, as he's coming to Northwestern, 
that we that that you think we'll see next year that would maybe be different from the Bajakian area era? I think you have the opportunity to see a lot of improvement the same way we saw with the defense. And I forget exactly which episode you guys said it, but you kind of talked about him being an offense, like offensive side of the football, David Braun. And, you know, talking to the guys this year, you know, I especially think back to one of the interviews I had with Bryce Gallagher, where he said like, one of the key changes for the defense year to year from 2022 to 2023 was getting everybody on the same page. And Braun and he both talked about kind of when you eliminate confusion and when you put 11 D1 athletes on the same page, you open the door for what, what I think Luhan says this in one of his coaching clinics, you open the door for a creativity out of consistency of where when you're running a lot of simple, simpler sets or simpler ideas and you get everybody on the same page that allows people to, when you, again, when you don't have in the back of your mind, what play am I running? What's my assignment? When you know all of that cold, that opens the door for you to improvise, for you to audible, for your experienced players to use their experience. And looking, watching some of South Dakota state. And again, watching, I believe it's on throw deep publishing. Um, Luhan's coaching clinic, it really seems like he is a similar offensive mindset of really instilling in his offensive line, his quarterback, all the way out to skill players, making sure that everyone is on the same page and executing simple concepts at a high level. I know when, when I saw that video, it was just, yes, uh, this is this is everything I've been wanting in an offensive mind or in any coach's mind, you know, someone with the creativity, someone who wants to instill that creativity in the players, but is also making sure that the player that the system matches the players, not the other way around. I mean, too many times you've seen coaches come in and try to match the players into the system and just be very inflexible with that. But it seems like Luhan is coming in with completely the opposite mindset. Is like you got to base the system on who you've got in there and give everyone an opportunity to succeed. Absolutely. I mean, again, we haven't had the chance to to hear him talk as Northwestern's offensive coordinator yet, but it seems that that is very much the direction he's trending in. Um, and again, like watching those videos, he just consistently talks about flexibility and using the advantages of the personnel he has and how. And admittedly, I think if there is a point of concern, it's that he's only ever coached and coordinated at South Dakota State, which is basically become the alpha program of FCS. You know, they have the best athletes, they have the best system. And that's not that Northwestern doesn't, but to kind of use a phrase that I heard about, about Kalen DeBoer in the past few weeks where it's like a lot of times Northwestern is challenged to win having the second best talent on the field. And I don't think that challenge was posed a lot at South Dakota State. But at the same time, I do think over his two years as coordinator, and I want to say four as quarterbacks coach, he he learned how to use a variety of different talented players, whether that his best players were at running back, receiver, tight end, quarterback. He definitely showed at each one of those levels and each one of those kind of uh, arrangements that he can succeed at a high level. Well, I think to your earlier point as well, Matt, like he's not sacrificing execution for creativity. And I'm, I'm, I'm connecting these dots on the fly, but 
one of the things that we've all complained about for for four years now, even going back to the to the very successful 2020 season, is Bajakian's trick plays. And when he when he would when he would <laughs> go for something goofy or go for something, you know, a surprise or, you know, a trick play, et cetera, like it pretty much never worked. Like pretty much never worked with maybe like two exceptions that we can think of. Um, Listen, if he got if he got one more year, Cam Porter was going to air it out and really show big <laughs> <net> defenses. <laughs> 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 the Wildcat QB was going to start throwing in year uh, year five, eh? Um, no, but yeah. like so, I like that that. I mean, just the idea that that that's a foundational principle for Luhan, and and that I think that translates better to the Northwestern experience than, you know, Bajakian's perspective where it, it was, Oh, we're now, you know, now we're going to do this as opposed to, Hey, key off of what you see the defense doing. And if you see them doing this, then you respond or, Hey, here's a bunch of like one word play calls that are super simple for everybody to understand and stay on the same page, but that allow for flexibility and creativity in the offense. I, like that just felt like that stuff was never happening. And you had so many penalties, you had so many miscues, um, the trick plays to, to, to what I mentioned before. And I think like, I, I think it's probably going to be an adjustment and I'm not trying to be super Pollyannish here. Cause obviously like, you know, we, we, we got David Braun, the change in defense was palpable. Can the same thing happen on offense is, you know, is, is this a, a rare thing that we're trying to, trying to, you know, hit, hit the lottery twice, or have we, are we really truly onto something here? And, and does, does, you know, is bronze connections and, and knowledge and understanding of, of the FCS coaching tree, give him a leg up in finding the right coaches and the right transfer players, et cetera, to, to really, to really make moves. So I, I'm just, I'm really excited about, about that aspect. And I think, um, if, if any, if any type of system, I would feel, I feel a lot better about this than like, Oh, there's a guy coming from FCS who has like a thousand page playbook. That's been incredible with, to your point, the best talent in FCS, like that doesn't feel like it'd be a good fit, but the way he talks about his system and his approach feels very workable at Northwestern. Absolutely. And I I do think one of the, one of the issues that again, going back to kind of the Jim O'Neill analogy or same thing with Mike Bajaki and of guys with NFL experience, is bringing plays in that are complex or work in theory. But again, it's different when you're installing with 28, 29, 30 year olds or generational talents, basically across the board versus a college versus a college roster, right? Like both the, the literacy and the execution of a lot of those concepts changes and practice limits, right? Yeah. I mean, again, it's like top to bottom, just like the amount of different things that NFL players have at their disposal to execute those concepts. It's just different than uh, than in the college game. Um, And so I think you're hoping that Lujan or I think we're hoping that Lujan will kind of have a similar impact of simplifying the offense down with success. One thing that I was curious on. And again, getting a little bit in the weeds, but I mean, I think Sam mentioned it off the top, but I think a lot of for us and, and part of the, the reason we're so glad we were having her on. We, we talked about having you on from a recruiting angle forever. And then you quickly became, I think, to a lot of people in the Northwestern community, like the authority on in the Lujan space really quickly, um, summed up by this piece you wrote that everyone should check out on Wildcat Report, who is Zach Lujan. 
one of the things that I found in that piece, though, and this is the basis for this question, is you mentioned that South Dakota State ran the ball a lot last year. And I think, like, because everyone talks about Gronowski and the, you know, the potential of him transferring in, which we can talk about in a little bit, but him being one of, you know, the, you know, potentially the best player in the FCS, I think lost in the shuffle. And you pointed out is that South Dakota State runs the ball a lot. When you look at them, like, do you see, like, I don't know, a particular theme within the way that they run or like the way that, that they use the running game relative to the pass game? I mean, beyond just raw balance. I mean, do you see anything in terms of the way that they run the ball that you would juxtapose with the way you've seen Northwestern run the ball? What One of the biggest differences, and I mean this more as a compliment for the Jackrabbits than I mean for anything towards the Wildcats, but I mean, you can arguably say South Dakota State has the best offensive line in their league. You know, I mean, when you talk about I mean, it's basically as if he were offensive coordinator for Michigan this year. You know, I mean, they just have the ability to assert their will and really set the tone up front, no matter who they're playing, um, in a way that I just don't really think Northwestern can when you have a schedule that includes someone like Penn State. You know, I mean, that's just different. And so I think the way South Dakota State uses the run is definitely to establish temp- to establish tempo, put their own brand on the game. I mean, again, in that in that clinic, he says we run the ball to punish the defense. And that's absolutely the right mindset. And that is why my one kind of doubt, if there is any about the hire, is kind of how he will adapt to having a different physical, different physical dynamic up front. And again, that's not to say that Northwestern is bad by any means. They're just not literally the best team in college football at it. Whereas with South Dakota State, I mean, they had a top five rushing attack, had multiple offensive linemen from an FCS level declaring for the draft. You know, it's a really incredible advantage for them. And also to Luhan's credit, it's something that he and their staff have purposefully developed. You know, it's not something they were handed. So he can bring that development and that success to Evanston with him. Absolutely. And I'm very excited to see how they recruit and get aggressive about the offensive line. I, just, I think it's a really important caveat of what you just mentioned that Luhan and his staff get credit for establish like recruiting those players, developing those players, like that offensive line wasn't built in a lab and handed to them. Right. And I think, I think we do get, you know, out over our skis broadly as, you know, analyzing college football or, or pro football, et cetera. And, and, well, college football more because of the recruiting angle and kind of missing that component to it. And I think there's um, like you, you don't get the best offensive line by accident. Um, South Dakota State is not what I would call like a glamour program. And if they're sending guys to the league, presumably those are guys that at some point in their career could have gone to FBS. Right. So there's 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 something there beyond just the X's and O's that is. Um, a value and of note um, in addition to, to, to the schematic side of it. Absolutely. And I will say kind of, I say this having confidence, if not bordering on excitement to see how Lujan recruits the quarterback position at Northwestern. Um, But normally when you're hiring a coach and you're looking at their recruiting connections, you look at where they played in high school and where they've coached and played in college. Well, for Zach Lujan, that's Alaska and South Dakota. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're not exactly working with a treasure trove of available prospects. 
but uh, coming in on a direct connection. But again, I say that totally joking manner. I have total expectations for um, for him to come in and again be very aggressive and very confident in in recruiting that position for the Wildcats. Speaking of the quarterback position, I, I think this is just segues very very nicely. Um, obviously, there's a lot of smoke around the potential of Mark Gronowski. Um, you know, won the Walter Payton Award at South Dakota State, two-time national champion quarterback. Uh, it definitely makes sense to to speculate and consider the uh, possibility that he might follow Lujan to Northwestern, but I'm guessing it's it's probably not that simple. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about this a little bit before the show, but, you know, again, kind of using as a benchmark, you had Albany's quarterback going to Miami, and that was a team that South Dakota State beat 59-0, to and that's a player that Gronowski beat out for the Player of the Year award. So I would say that Northwestern is, is definitely going to be in the mix, definitely going to be in the hunt, and he's a player they definitely would love to have in the building, but you know, they're, they're not going to be the only hat in that ring. I mean, South Dakota State is definitely going to be working hard to retain him. There are going to be a lot of other serious college programs in that mix. Uh, Gronowski's playing pretty close to the vest. He's not very public with that side of things. Um, and he's also a grad transfer, so he doesn't have to follow uh, the transfer portal windows that an undergrad would. So this is a process that could kind of come to fruition at any time over the next few months. But I expect that it will very much be on his terms. And while, again, while the Wildcats will definitely be in pursuit of him as, as their quarterback, because not only does he have that incredible resume, he has two years of eligibility ahead of him. But the, like I said, the Wildcats aren't the only Power 5 program uh, that, that sees that. There will be a lot of teams interested. It's worth, it's worth noting, and we've kind of said this on Twitter too, that like, I you know, don't want any of our listeners to, to hear – the conversation around Gronowski and and think that and started to ask questions about Brendan Sullivan, who, frankly, by all by all accounts, looks like a pretty darn good fit for Lujan's system, given how often it leverages a, a, a mobile quarterback. Um, I, you know, obviously, Brendan is pretty accurate, which is a, another critical component of that of that offense. I don't I don't know what else Lujan looks for as he you know evaluates recruits QB talent, but I think it's important. You know, we, we said it this year with Bryant and, and Sullivan, like odds are whoever the starting QB at the, at the beginning of the year is, he's not going to play every snap all season. It's just not how it typically works in the big 10. And it's about, it's about the strength of your battery in the QB room. Not, not individual guys. Gronowski would be a, a fantastic ad for Northwestern for a ton of reasons. That doesn't mean that, that, um, you know, Sullivan is chopped liver either. Yeah, I think Sullivan definitely showed some flashes. I mean, his his Maryland game was, I mean, it's it's hard to draw a better a better <laughs> game from a quarterback. You know, I mean, he he's he's the point of difference there for the Wildcats. But I, I would would say that I don't believe it's yours. I don't believe that Braun and Lujan are looking at this as either next next fall my starting quarterback is Gronowski or Sullivan. I would think that they will still be very interested and active in the grad transfer quarterback market as they have been in the past, you know, where Northwestern has found success over the past 
five, ten years, it's been when there's certainty at the quarterback position. It's been Clayton Thorson or it's been a grad transfer. And I think Sullivan I think I think Sullivan has shown flashes and has definitely shown, like I said, definite flashes of how and when he can be a good quarterback. But I still think that there's uncertainty there. And if there's one thing that we've seen from David Braun, it's that he is going to control what he can control and add as much certainty as possible into the mix. And I, like I said, I think that Northwestern, even if they miss out on Gronowski, w- will be interested in, in the grad transfer market over the next few months here. Some Randy Walker used to say, like every season was, um, he said, I, I tell everybody, especially my quarterbacks, like I'm going to go out and recruit a guy to come in here and compete with you next year. That's me doing my job as your coach to push you and help you get better. And you should just expect that. And I think that mentality is a little tougher now with, you know, the way transfers work and everything else. But um, I also think like when you look at, when you look at Thorson and his four years, like did Northwestern ever really bring in someone that could, that, that truly pushed him or, or, or could compete with him. Um, And it does, it does kind of make me wonder a little bit about, some of the struggles we've had at the QB position in, in the post Thorson Thorson era. And obviously it's really hard to untether that from offensive coordinators and schemes. Like we were just talking about a few minutes ago, but um, I think like that, like I like, I liked how you put it about around certainty. And I think sometimes certainty comes from having, having options and, and having a, 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 you know, everybody, everybody on the same page about like, Hey, this isn't, this isn't about whether you're the starter or not. This is about strengthening our room and, setting up, you know, the right incentives and the right, the right push to help everyone get better and grow. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats. So, having talked a ton about Zach Lujan, we kind of wanted to look at the other side of the ball as well. And obviously, like we know, I mean, again, just like we've been saying, this all hasn't been announced by Northwestern. We just pretty much have all the reporting and that Tim McGarrigal is going to be taking over as DC. You mentioned I mean, earlier... Well, hey, hang on, John. Sean McDonough absolutely announced that at the end of the... <laughs> sure. Thank you. I know. I know. We, we actually should... If make I wish sure, we could just... Uh, make sure you credit him for the news break there. Yeah, let's just add <laughs> Sean into the call so he can dump any anything else that he might have on his ledger that he wants to, he wants to break for us. Um, but you, you mentioned earlier talking with Bryce Gallagher um, about the change when Braun came in. And it kind of got me thinking in the moment about, I think we're probably guilty over the past couple of years of of not having many Tim McGarrigal conversations, which is kind of ridiculous when you think about it in hindsight, because this is a guy who's, as we've said recently, five all Big Ten linebackers in four years. Like, it's an amazing resume. It's the resume that has partially elevated him to where he is. And I'm curious, from... Your discussion with linebackers, with, you know, with recruits, like going back like a year, year before, you know, um, 
what are the things that you've heard about Tim McGarrigal that you think separate him, you know, that, that maybe helped led to him getting to the position that he's likely going to be taking today? Yeah, I mean, I think this year was kind of his first year where he kind of really had an opportunity to show what he can do, right? Because when, you know, yeah, when it's like when you're the linebackers coach for Pat Fitzgerald, <laughs> you're not going to get a lot of credit, you know? And that's, I don't say that as a bad thing. It's just like, same thing as like, if you're the quarterbacks coach under a Lincoln Riley or whoever, it's like when your head coach is at that position and has such a long history of developing that position, your position work a lot of times is going to get assigned to him. And so I think this year, you know, the work he did with Bryce and Xander to really, and again, credit to those guys for working with him. I mean, it's a, again, it's, it's a trio there that really operated at a high level. And I mean, heck include Kenny Soares in there too. They all put in a lot of, a lot of really great work. And I mean, Xander Mueller was night and day improvement from last year. I thought, you know, I thought he went from a, a solid young linebacker in 2022 again to one of the best players in the league in 2023. And Bryce Gallagher goes from a captain and getting racking up a lot of tackles to, again, he's now the anchor of the entire defense. So it's like, I think McGarrigal has clearly shown that he has a great ability to develop over time. Um, unfortunately, the linebacker position got a little bit undermined long-term with the transfers out of Nigel Glover to Ohio State and Justin Cryer to Florida State um, right after, uh, oh, during the summer. But I think in the long-term, I think that position is in an incredibly strong spot next year. Again, looking at Gallagher going to the NFL, you're probably going to have Xander Mueller stepping into the Mike linebacker role. And then you're going to have, I believe, Kenny Soares and Mac Uline kind of battling it out for that for those second and third roles. So I, I'm incredibly, again, I would say I'm incredibly excited to see how he continues to work in that position, and it's it's incredibly well deserved. I mean, this is turned into kind of turned into David Braun's staff overnight. You know, when you're looking at the head coach and the ten named assistants that you get, you're about to have ten of those eleven, and, and all being at Northwestern since 2023. The only person who has been there longer is Tim McGarrigal. And that's for a reason. And that's because of the work he's done in the past. And especially for the work he did this year, working with Braun on taking that defense to that next level and working with him kind of in his first season as head coach to take, like I said, to take that defense to that really high level that um, earned the teammate wins. A couple other of the other names that are uh, seem to be on their way in, um, Bill O'Boyle uh, coming in as the new offensive line coach and Paul Creighton coming in uh, special teams and tight ends. Um, O'Boyle comes in as the former offensive line coach at Colorado um, under Dion, And, you know, as I, I guess it was more with working with Sean Lewis because O'Boyle was with Sean Lewis uh, at Kent State and was going to follow him to San Diego State before uh, the opportunity to come to Northwestern was. But, you know, as as a Boulder native myself and, you know, watching Colorado as closely as I did, I mean, the offensive line at Colorado was rough last year. But, I mean, there's plenty of other reasons that the offensive line was terrible. I mean, you can't really build an offensive line through the transfer portal in one year. It's just not not really feasible. And I think um, we... we 
went on to see that. But what what can you tell us about O'Boyle um, and you know how he fits into the into the mix? Yeah, for sure. So I think as you look at this kind of the broad traits of Northwestern staff right now, they're very young and they're very FCS heavy. And I think Braun has done a good job. And I think this is definitely an instance um, where similar to the way that Braun had impact on the defensive hires last year, Lujan has clearly had an impact on the offense hires this year. Um, and he was definitely consulted. So I don't want to say this is all on Braun when they were definitely working in tandem here, but I think they've done an incredible job of, again, identifying what they can do and what they can't do. And what they can't do is add more years of experience to their resume. And O'Boyle is, is someone in his 60s with decades and decades of coaching experience at all levels in many different roles. Of, I mean, he was a very successful head coach um, in his past. He's been a very successful offensive line coach. And like you said, I think the one position that, teams are learning is basically transfer portal proof is the offensive line you know you can unless you are operating a really really high level unless you're alabama georgia michigan where again you're in a really buyer's market in the transfer portal you cannot go out and get more than one basically more than one offensive lineman who is going to be at a contributing level for your team and so i think that was what you saw last year at colorado is that they were the program that the portal built. And the one thing the portal can't really build for you is the offensive line. And I think O'Boyle just suffered suffered from that. Uh, but in the long term, I think he's an incredibly valuable ad. A lot of Midwest experience coaching and recruiting. And I think he'll hopefully take that position group in a positive direction going forward. One of the things we were talking about with O'Boyle that we just find fascinating is there is this Big time sliding doors moment with him um, that dates way back to the mid aughts when he was um, running the the teams that made Danny Woodhead famous in in Division Two and led to his career with the Patriots um, at Shadron State. His coach for those teams was Bill O'Boyle, and Bill O'Boyle was basically for six or seven years a Division Two powerhouse coach and really never tailed off. From a wins and losses perspective, his career at Chadron State ended because of a situation where there was a 79-page page report from an accounting firm that said that he had failed to document $22,000 in spending um, and that like was funneled to four private bank accounts, that these accounts were theoretically secret. And based on all of this, that was the end of his career at Chadron State. And we're talking about part of the reason I bring this up is like, this is the reason this guy was stacking wins at the division two level. Like there is this alternate universe where he continues on. We've seen all these different guys. Like I think like DeBoer being an example, right. Of a guy who won at a lower level and then an upper level and up and up and up. Right. Um, and I think like the, uh, the other piece of it being that this is basically regardless of the specifics of exactly what happened, the amount that we're talking about is $22,000 total. Whatever that money was used for, whatever the situation was, the amount that is talked about is, and we're going back to like 2007, I think, is $22,000, 2011. That makes it seem like this happened 50 years ago. Like by point of reference, Florida State was just handed down NIL-related sanctions 
based on a booster offering a recruit $15,000 per month for the duration of his college career. And, and, you know, this, and, and not, and these penalties don't have anything to do with the amounts themselves. It's just the way Florida State went about it. It's just, it's so funny to me because I think of that and it just, it sounds like it's from some long past pre NIL era that just a whole separate thing. And because of that, again, he went on a different trajectory that led to him being an offensive line coach at a lot of places that led to him being an assistant after having been this powerhouse head coach. Um, and I'm, I'm curious that someone who's had that breadth of experience and that high level experience, do you think it's, it's going to be necessary to kind of have someone come in who's got a certain level of magnetism, given that this is the one position that, as we all know, an absolutely universally beloved coach is going out the door in Kurt Anderson. And do you think that there's a, that, that, that maybe that there was a need on Braun's part to bring in someone who had that, you know, maybe not to juxtapose against the youth, but just kind of an, an experience as like a large personality, someone who can come in and really kind of connect with these guys right away. I think so. I mean, I don't necessarily think that was at the top of his evaluation list. Um, but I think having an experienced hand like O'Boyle never work, uh, never hurts. And I mean, I can also tell you, I mean, mild-mannered offensive line coaches are few and far between. <laughs> True. <You know? laughs> I mean... It's like, it's like a quiet strength coach, right? That's not really growing on trees. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think with with the departure of Anderson, there's definitely uh, a role to be filled there. But I, I do think that, you know, something that just at the end of the day, as Northwestern wants to take a competitive step forward, you know, part of that is competitively and consistently assessing your staff. And the offensive line just statistically was not at the level that it needs to be for the team to be competitive in in the long term. Um Again, I mean, it, it's also a tough optic because then Colorado is one of two Power 5 teams worse. But, I mean, the, the offensive line, again, just statistically looking at it, ranked 127th in sacks allowed. So, and, and it's not an issue of, of, of talent necessarily. It's just like Northwestern plays a tough Big Ten schedule with a lot of very talented pass rushers. And there needs to be an offensive line coach who is going to get that group in a better position to buy the quarterback more time. And I think based on that and, again, consulting with Lujan and Braun Search, I think O'Boyle has a lot of opportunities to take that group in a positive direction going forward. What what can you tell us about Paul Creighton? I mean, here's, here's a guy who just played in the national championship game uh, for Washington and with Kalen DeBoer uh, heading off to Alabama – um, you know, he seemed to, you know, be, be available. Co- co- coach, not played, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, coach. Um, Listen, if, if you saw his picture with uh, Patrick Schaller today, he, he could probably still take a few snaps. <laughs> I, oh, I don't doubt it. I just don't want people to think like, wait, we, we, hired, a, we hired a guy off the field? <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, but he worked with Braun uh, when they were together at UC Davis. So, you know, there's a little bit of history there. But what can you tell us about Creighton? Yeah, and then I, I should have mentioned this with O'Boyle. They actually uh, coached against each other 
O'Boyle was offensive line at South Dakota in 2017, and Braun was oh. defensive line at Northern Iowa uh, that same season. So, I mean, th- that's so tangential. That's one game that I don't know if that necessarily was on Braun's mind, but I thought that was an interesting connection. Um, and then, yeah, addressing Creighton, I think that's another another great hire. I mean, I mean, look at hiring successful people from successful coaches. I mean, there's arguably been no more successful coach than Kalen DeBoer over the past few years. And Creighton's been on his staff for the past four. I mean, when DeBoer took the Fresno job coming away from Indiana, he promoted or he hired Creighton away from UC Davis to come in as the tight ends coach. Then when he went on to Washington two years later, brought him with um, as quality control emphasis on special teams. And he's another person of where he just has a lot of, a lot of football experience and he coached with Braun at UC Davis for two years while Braun was there before Braun left for the UNI job. But he, again, he has six years of tight ends there. The first three, he's also their recruiting coordinator. The last three, he's their special teams coordinator. Instead, he's someone who has a lot of experience and a lot of roles in an area of the country where now in a national big 10 schedule that is literally coast to coast, where you might start dipping your toe more often into West Coast recruiting pools, that is an area that Creighton knows extremely, extremely well. So I think he's an incredible value, valuable asset to add to the staff, again, not just for his ability on the field, working with tight ends, working with special teams, which were awesome each step of the way, UC Davis, Fresno State, and then obviously at Washington. Um, It's just really talented groups really fundamentally strong groups and the opportunity to bring that to uh, to Northwestern should be really exciting. And I also think, you know, it's part of a pattern of, I forget the, or I remember it's, it's five, but of, again, of the 11 coaches with the head coach and the 10 named assistants with two of those currently vacant, you have five coaches who are going to be on Northwestern staff next season that have coached, or won a playoff, a FBS playoff game, or an FCS national championship over the last five years. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. I mean, like the the amount of, and I think we talked about it last week. But the idea that people in the past being like, "Well, that's FCS. How can it translate, etc.?" And to be in a position where, to be in a position not only to say. It translates great, but for other people to be like, it translates great. Look at Northwestern. Look what they're doing. And like, I can't think of a a better place to be than to be a school that's viewed as the point of that. Be like, yeah, you got to go grab those FCS FCS guys because look what Northwestern did with theirs. And hopefully, we get to that. It's funny with Creighton. Um, it's it's so easy to look because you kind of forget now that I mean, Jeff Jenick was coaching tight ends. And was the special teams coordinator, but Bob Hefner had been the super backs and then tight ends coach for a long, long time prior to that. And then Jenick absorbed those jobs, which put us in the unique position of needing to replace a tight end special teams coach. And here's a guy, Creighton, who has tight ends experience, special teams experience, and he worked with Braun. Um, and like you said, the Kalen DeBoer part. So it's it's very interesting to me. The the last kind of little piece that we were curious about and and um, I know you've written on it and and curious, you know, what you're hearing is like with the linebacker 
coaching job technically open, like, is your thought process that DJ Vokalek is going to get that job? Or do you think Northwestern is still, uh, you know, is, is not done on, you know, on the coaching search just yet? I think that that seems like the logical promotion for him. I mean, he was a floating defensive assistant uh, this past season and he's coached linebackers for 20 plus years um, at various stops, including uh, with Braun a few years, I believe at, at Northern Iowa. Um, so that, that does seem like the logical fit. And the ESPN's Adam Rittenberg said he's going to be an on-field assistant next year. So there's going to be some kind of role for him there. I mean, there's also, I think, a chance to get flexible with with titles here, you know, with the departure of Matt McPherson, who was the associate head coach and defensive backs coach. It's like, well, you also currently have LaMarcus Hicks, who has been an excellent cornerbacks coach so far. So they have the option of where it's like, do you want to bring in a safeties coach and a linebackers coach? Or how do you want to use I should say the linebackers coach is going to is going to exist. That title is going to be there. But you kind of now have the opportunity to have kind of an extra variable defensive assistant role of whether you want to make that a safeties coach or you want to make it kind of more of a floating uh, position. And I would say you can you can pencil in Vokalek for one of those two roles. If he's not linebackers coach, he's going to be in whatever that other role ends up uh, taking shape to be. Is Skip Holtz gone? Is he going back to the the new merged USFL UFL as a full time thing? Was this just a one one year thing for for Holtz that you're aware of, or is there opportunity for him to stick around? Yeah, as I'm aware of right now, um, Holtz is going to the to the UFL uh, going back. I mean, he has two USFL titles to defend. I mean, you can't you can't turn that down. <laughs> sure. Um, hey. But yeah, I mean, I think as far as I know right now, he's kind of been kind of a, a mysterious figure to, to the public of what exactly does, does Skip Holtz do. Um, but yeah, to, to my knowledge, he'll be, he'll be gone and he'll be back to that job with the Stallions. But again, for as much kind of flack or, or laughs as he got, as far as I know, he was a very valuable add to the staff. And Braun very much appreciated his insight and in having the extra set of eyes from an experienced head coach. Um, but as far as I know from, from what's public and what the plan was, this was always going to be a one-year thing, and they're keeping to that plan. Have you ever thought about building a Westlaw Pirates-like community for your business? If so, we've got your solution. Teamworks Media, a brand marketing and content company, is here to help you tell your brand story better. Better yet, you can work directly with the founder, Jay Sharman, known on this podcast as Like the Posts. The same expertise he's brought to brands like ESPN, the Big Ten Conference, and Northwestern University are now available to you in an affordable way, directly with this Wildcat Superfan. Contact Jay directly at 312-446-9435 or jay at teamworksmedia.com to learn how to elevate your brand's story. We all we wanted to get your thoughts on this incoming recruiting class. I mean, 15 guys signed on, on the initial signing day. Um, you know, we're hearing that we're not done. I mean, we just got a commitment from another offensive lineman, which is great because, you know, we need all of the OL help we can get. Um, but can you give us 
a sense of what this class is, you know, as small as it is, what are we, what are we looking at? What are we, what are we getting from, uh, from these guys? Yeah. So first off, I meant to mention this at the start of kind of, I think there needs to be a, a reframing kind of nationwide of about class size, you know, with, with the introduction of the portal. And as that's kind of continued to grow and grow and grow, classes are shrinking just because of scholarship availability. I mean, again, like looking at looking at the rivals rankings right now, like you got Louisville at 15, you've got Utah at 15, Oklahoma State 18. You know, there are a lot of competent high level programs that are only bringing in mid to high teens guys. You know, the the top end teams will keep living in the mid to high 20s, but further down the line, the true freshman recruiting classes are getting smaller. Um and then talking about the the offensive linemen coming in, again, talking about what I said earlier, offensive line is becoming increasingly hard to find in the portal. And you're only really finding one or two guys and you're hoping for the best. And especially at Northwestern with their transfer restrictions, they're then going to be in and out in one or two years. So I think the, the player they just brought in, um, I apologize to him if I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, but uh, Zomo Aradakai, I think he, who just came in on official visit uh, this this past weekend and committed on it, you know he he's a he's more of a, a project type player. Um, Rivals hasn't ranked him yet, but he's a big body. He's a raw talent from Texas, a lot of high potential, and it's important to take flyers like that because you would rather get someone like him in the building and have the chance to work with him for two to three years to get him up to speed to play. Uh, to play inside line, to play guard, than to try to take a swing in the portal where you're swiftly running out of options. And then I think overall assessment of the class, I'd have to say is pretty positive. You know, I mean, this is a class that was sitting at, um, I mean, I think it was sitting at eight at eight players or at eight commits when uh, when Braun was interim. And then he's effectively doubled it in size, assuming that, Zomo is going to sign in February. He's doubled it in size over two months. And that is what I think has been a really test, a real testament to him and his staff has been how relentless they've been to bring in, to bring in talent and secure players who are not, um, again, who are not already committed or, or signed. Because again, I mean, he basically takes over that operation with, a quarter of the cycle remaining and so many people already have their team. So many people are already late in their processes that his ability to, to get into flip commitments was in my opinion, really impressive over the past few months. And I think there are going to be some players here um, who are going to be quality wildcats down the road. I think, I think it's fair to call out that on paper, this class is a step back, you know, talent wise from, you know, the past, um, number of years no four-star players a lot you know um kind of mid a lot of mid-level three stars and then some two stars etc um i think the point you just made matt about the timing uh the the stage in the cycle like what you know obviously is an unproven commodity that's that's certainly going to impact braun and his staff's ability to to connect and flip players etc um at the same time i think the 
you know, all the, all the class rankings that come out on signing day are a little misleading too, because they, when, when you resort for average class size, Northwestern goes up about, I don't know, 15 or 16 rankings. Um, but I think the, 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 so I I get where I'm going, um, a is I think next year is going to be the first real bellwether of what bronze recruiting prowess looks like and coming off this eight and five season, Obviously, that's going to be very helpful, especially with the bowl win, et cetera. But what um, are you are you seeing anything in in the early discussions around next year's class that would stand out or 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 you know look different from what we're seeing in this group today, and and or comparing to what um, Fitzgerald's staff uh, and how they operated previously. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, first of all, I mean, kind of like I said with the staff, you've basically seen, to, to use a hockey term for it, you've basically seen a line change over two years. So basically from the head coaching perspective, from an assistant coaching perspective, and even from you know, from an on-field perspective, it's a totally program and a, a totally different program and totally different playing pitch now than it was let's say two years ago coming off of three and nine and i would say that i think some of the concern i've seen is that we get hiring hiring braun long term and then bringing in lujan and with the way they talk about developing players in north dakota state and south dakota state of basically bringing in guys with excuse me uh bringing in guys with no stars two stars really finding diamonds in the rough that Northwestern is going to fall off the map in terms of stars and that they're just going to go on a search of the country and really deep dive and go full development and kind of turn their back on the recruiting rankings. And I think, I I think that's pretty going to be pretty different than what actually happens. You know, I, I don't think it's lost on, on coach that he now has a $200 million practice facility and they're building him an $800 million stadium. I think he knows the tools that he has at his disposal and he's ready to use them and ready to be more aggressive on the recruiting trail than he could be at North Dakota state or that Lujan could be at South Dakota state. And I mean, again, it's like, I think the first sign of that you'll see is the first uh, local 25 offer they made. They made at a bowl practice uh, in, in December was to uh, Carson Cooney, great linebacker from Oswego, which is a few hours outside of Evanston. And I mean, right there, Northwestern is coming to the party and he already has offers from Wisconsin, Michigan State, Iowa, Illinois, Iowa State. You know, I think he's he's ready and he's gearing up to go toe to toe with, you know, with conference rivals, with conference opponents, while also prioritizing the experience that he and his staff have at identifying unique talent. In dealing with uh, these recruits, have you heard any discussion about um, how how you recruit when you know you're going to be on the road for two years? I think that's actually kind of something that doesn't really register, especially now. Um, that was definitely would have been more of a factor for some of the previous classes. You know, talking with with coach about it, it's something where now for the next class, it's going to be your freshman season. Right. If if the new Ryan Field is built on schedule, that just means your freshman season is going to be 
at Soldier Field or at SeaGeek Stadium or at Wrigley Field, and you won't have a home field. But then by your sophomore year, you will be playing in the Ryan Field utopia. I mean, you, you see in some of the mock-ups, it, it's projected to look pretty special. So that's actually more of a plus. I mean, a lot of these players you're not going to necessarily be playing heavily your freshman year anyways. So I really don't think that that's going to be much of a, a detractor for the upcoming class because it really doesn't have as much of an impact on their careers. You know, you're going to play three quarter Again, if it's on schedule, your sophomore, junior, senior seasons are all in the new stadium. So with that said, looking kind of backwards at like the, the one group of guys, right. Who I guess it, it may have been an issue with at least, in theory, would have been this class that we're talking about right now, right? This class of 2024. And given that, I mean, to the extent that it was an issue at all, it just makes it all the more impressive that Braun was able to to fill out this class the way that he did. And you already talked about that. You talked about that being like one of the things that jumps out immediately about how impressive this class is, is the way that Braun was able to come in, immediately put his feet on the ground and build out the rest of this class. But we know from talking with you previously and the fact that this has been a class that has basically been assembled as you've been in this managing editor role, right? And as you've you've basically effectively been incredibly close to this class in a way that very few people are other than Louie maybe. And we know from previous conversations with you that you're not just excited about this class in terms of the way that the, the back half of it miraculously came together, but you're very excited about individual guys in this class. So we were kind of hoping, like, when you go through, like, you've you've been, like you like we said, up close and personal with this class as it's come together. Who are some guys who you're really excited to see here? Yeah, I think first off, you, you go with kind of the landmark position of the recruiting world, and that's the quarterback that they brought in, Ryan Bowe from Batavia. I mean, you, you talk about a, a guy that has just taken what is already a very strong program and really given them some of their best seasons in recent years – Three-year starter for the Bulldogs, 31-7, and 11-2 senior season. And, I mean, their only two losses are to Lincoln Way East on a failed two-point conversion and then lost to Chicago Mount Carmel in the playoffs. And, I mean, if you're – for any listeners who are unfamiliar with IHSA football, I mean, that's that's losing to Michigan and Ohio State right there. I mean, he, he has operated at a very high level – there as just just a considerably winning player he's the exact type of plus one runner that that braun loves and that luhan loves i mean he was brought in and signed before luhan was connected to the job and i i think he's the exact type of player in terms of when they're talking about developing and having foresight with guys of where it's like i don't think ryan would ever come in and be a day one starter unless there were uh, an extensive series of injuries or, or circumstances, but he seems to me and looking at his tape to be the kind of guy that with two to three years in the system of, with working with Lujan, with working with the facilities that Northwestern has could be an opportunity to be a really significant player for them. Yeah, that was kind of our take looking at the tape with him too. Um, I think because we were looking and it's so deep to get in the weeds when you're evaluating any high school tape, but let alone quarterback tape. But 
it seems to be like one of the things because we were looking through and, and looking at Bo's tape and being like, like you said, like at the highest level in Illinois, he's doing this and you watching him making all the throws and everything. And you, you say, all right, so how do we dovetail him with like a four star recruit or something like that? And then you go see and it's like, well, it's mainly like arm strength. But then we look at like a guy like Brendan Sullivan and it's like at the end of the day, yeah, you want a quarterback who can make all the throws, but accuracy, decision making, moxie, ability to run, knowing when to run. It's like those are the things. And it's like like we certainly saw that when we looked on the tape with Bo. And and again, it's like it's hard to know totally. But like you said, he's a gamer and he's a winner. That was what that's that's what stood out to us. Who else uh, have you who else has jumped out to you? Yeah, I mean, I think two of the going back to more of that North Dakota State, South Dakota State type model of, of really going out and finding guys. Um, well, actually, I, I should re- rephrase because uh, Callen committed to, to Coach Fitz back in May. But I, I think two of the impressive, if, if only from a geography standpoint, two of the more impressive gets for the class are Callen Campbell from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan and then Timmy Oke from uh, the NFL Academy in London, England. And I think it, both of them are, I think, great evidence of the way that Northwestern staff really work to establish and maintain their class and really make sure they left no stone unturned in a situation, again, where you're starting a race. Again, Callen's kind of exempt from this because he was came in a visit in May and committed on the visit. But I think Timmy's a great example of the way that the Wildcats started the race basically seven months behind everybody else with after the firing of Fitzgerald and how that affected their recruiting class. And they were still able to bring in a high level, a high number of guys at a replacement level for their roster and the opportunity to get some players with high development upside who once they have a few years, even from that difficult starting point can turn into the high level of player that they want. And again, I mean, any coach on signing day is going to love the players they've signed. But I mean, one thing in his comments that stuck out is Braun thought that if, uh, if okay had played in Chicago, if he'd been in that football culture from day one of growing up, that he'd be a four-star level athlete. And I think he's someone that if you give him a couple years with coach Hicks, you could, you could see Timmy playing at a very high level uh, for the Wildcats. Reminds me very much of a Fadi Adenabo. Who? Oh yeah, not, great. Call. Now, if Fadi had an, an Alabama offer, an Ohio State offer, et cetera, but you know, a guy that started playing football, I'm forgetting the the exact timing. It was the eighth grade? Um, Real late. Yeah, it was just he was a very, very, very raw. Um, and Northwestern benefited greatly with with Fadi based on you know the the academic standing because that was such an important factor to his family. But uh, the way he blossomed, and then he had you know a a, a, a Spent a number of years in the NFL with a number of different teams. Um, I believe he's re- he's he's no longer tethered at this point. Um, I feel like I saw him pop up somewhere, but I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not 100. But like I, again, like like that, like we've had success with a player like that in the past, and um, yeah, Tim, I mean, Timmy's pretty exciting from a lot of from a lot of different angles. Um, just his enthusiasm and his in his kind of commitment video, et cetera, as as, as those things were coming out back on signing day was uh, was really exciting. So yeah, that's he's probably the, the the guy I'm most excited about in this class um, for for all the reasons you cited, Matt. 
Yeah, I mean, two, two things there. To, just to be real quick, I mean, I think that the timeline is similar, but Ifadi is one of the highest ranked, just to be clear, it's one of the oh. highest ranked recruits Northwestern's ever brought in. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I, I guess it's yeah. in the way of like, yeah. And the other thing is, I mean, all of us, because we all had to set our alarms for like 4 a.m. on signing day because he signed at 10 a.m. in London. And so every, everyone was up early. Re, re, um, reporting and coaching you know we all we all had to get up a few hours earlier than we would have so he he owes us a little bit on that front and everyone was out in vegas at that point too so that's like pacific time zone that's even earlier i guess i shouldn't i all need to be at the back of the line the coaches get to uh have the first bone to pick because they were they were starting even earlier i mean i again i think they they posted about it i think they had a 4 a.m start time pacific so Hope they had we some strong jo- coffee on that one. We were joking on Twitter that that uh, all the all the casino floor managers were looking at him, being like, "Still up at four a.m., huh?" And the coaches were like, "No, no, we just got up. We had to, we have this recruit who's signing from from England at at four a.m. and we have to be up." And the guys and all the floor managers were saying, "Sure, you're just getting up now." <laughs> <laughs> it's like I said, it's it. It's a good problem to have. It's their first signing day in a couple of years away from away from Walter Athletic Center. It's good. To, it's good to have those problems when you're getting ready for your bowl game. Yeah, absolutely. Good point. Um, so, kind of from a from a personal perspective for you, I know you obviously. I mean, I, I have a feeling that I know what the answer to this is going to be already, but maybe I don't. You've obviously had a chance to talk with a ton of these guys, um, and and you know, to the extent that you can so far, get to know some of them. Like who are you know, who are guys who you've, to this point, just really enjoyed talking to and getting to interview up to this point? Yeah, so, I mean, Louie and I normally kind of unofficially split the classes, just kind of as they come in on visits and offers. You know, we normally kind of give and take who takes what. So I'll probably be leaving some guys off, and that's not anything against them. It's just they weren't necessarily my guys, so to speak. Um, but probably... Um, my favorite conversations were uh, with, with Callan Campbell because I was able to talk to him, his dad, and his position coach um, about his process coming to Northwestern from from the UP. But also, I mean, it's been great to talk to. Uh, I was able to talk to Carson Grove and Patrick Schaller when they played against each other uh, during the regular season. Um, Hayden Elegon, also a great interview. Uh, Tito Williams, amazing confidence and led Bradley central to one of their best seasons ever this past, uh, this past fall. I mean, all, all, all the guys are great. And then again, Ryan talking to Ryan bow, uh, was really impressive. I mean, it's always incredible to talk to the quarterbacks and hear, uh, hear how focused and how polished they already are at at such a young age with so many accomplishments. As, as we mentioned off the top, there's still, an opportunity for more, uh, at least maybe a couple more guys coming in. I mean, we, we mentioned Eradikai. Um, anyone else that, you know, you kind of see as a possibility for the February signing day? We don't, we don't have anyone necessarily publicly, um, publicly on Northwest, uh, excuse me, Northwestern's radar right now. Um, Brian Payton tweeted out yesterday or maybe earlier today uh, that they're still looking for, uh, at least one more lineman transfer or class of 24. So I think they'll stay, uh, I think they'll stay aggressive and keep trying to bring guys in. Um, but at this stage of the game, I think a lot of guys will have uh, commitments or letters of intent signed. 
Um, so I wouldn't expect any more than probably one more guy as a true class of 2024, if that. Fair enough. Um, Matt, uh, really, really appreciate you coming on with us uh, tonight. Um, you know, obviously we want to have you back uh, for, you know, continued recruiting talk. I mean, that that's one thing we all love to dive into the recruiting. So uh, we'd love to get you back on down the road as we follow some of these guys and kind of see how things go. But uh, definitely appreciate the time tonight. And uh, thank you so much. Of course. Thanks for having me. Uh, once again, thank you so much, Matthew, for coming on uh, the pod with us tonight. Uh, really, really awesome stuff. And like, seriously, we can, we can, we'll have him on how many times we can just, you know, open, open invitation pretty much any time. And that was just fantastic stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, it'll be real interesting to see, you know, when these coaching changes are finally officially announced, um, you know, knowing our luck, it'll be like, while I'm editing this, uh, they're good. They'll, the official news release will happen, but you know, that's all well and good. But, um, yeah, I mean, we do have some basketball to talk about. Um, when we last we spoke, Northwestern was on their way out to state college to take on Penn state, um, got that win on the road and, uh, then went up to Wisconsin tight, tight loss, but, uh, you know, game that they were down pretty big, came back, tied it up. And then, just kind of slipped away late. Um, Scuzz, I, I know you watched that was the entire Wisconsin game. What were your thoughts coming out of that? Well, maybe before we hit that, we should talk a little bit about Penn State, which I think is really notable because, and, and this colors some of the Wisconsin game too. Like, it is pretty clear that winning on the road in the Big Ten this year is uh, about as Herculean a task as you can as you can come up with. Um, and there's been you know some some exceptions to that, but. Um, I think, uh, case in point, I, I believe I believe this was at Maryland, but Illinois just lost at Maryland um, the other night. Um, Rutgers took somebody down. Um, Purdue has two losses already. Like it, it's just it's really hard to win on the road. And you know Northwestern went to went to Penn State down eight at halftime and rallied to come back and take that game. I think that was a really huge statement from them, especially, you know, they, they had the, the good feels from the Michigan State game coming off of that horrific loss at Illinois, but to go out, to bring their physicality, to bring their A game, to come back in a hostile environment is um, was a huge statement. Yeah, and I think a lot of people coming out of that Penn State game, there was kind of the feeling of like, look, a lot of it was messy, particularly in the first half, but they did what needed to be done, and I think the there were definitely, I feel like, maybe some echoes of that in the in the Wisconsin game, I think with the Penn state game, what you see too, is like, it's one of those things. that's like, to your point about pressure in a road environment, et cetera. It's like when the cats could get out of their own way from a turnover perspective in that game, like a lot of the guys, like we, we've talked about it. Ty Berry has been on this heater kind of for a little while now. And with him, when his jump shot is falling, you know, in a situation where the cats aren't turning it over, like there are just there there's an ability to get buckets from just about everywhere. So it's like that's that's a big thing. But at the same time, like right, like there's that push and pull where I think there are a lot of people right now being like on the offensive end, like it sure seems like Northwestern is playing some messy basketball, like at times. And then 
at the same time, like you look at the way that they rallied in the second half of the Penn State game and gutted that out, and that was just like a gutsy performance. And again, I know like Scuzz, you watched a lot more of the Wisconsin game than we did, but I think that was kind of a lot of the tenure too, right? Was that kind of imperfect, but a really gutsy performance from a team playing an incredibly physical basketball game on the road. Yeah, I think I think the identity in this in this team is coalescing, you know, and, and I think you know last year we talked a lot about the identity being their their defensive prowess and leaning into, you know, Chase Audige and how he could shut teams down and or shut good players down and then, you know, Bowie is that calm, collected leader toward the end of the game. And I think unsurprisingly, they're they're coalescing around kind of a similar theme this year. But what what was so clear in that in that brutal Illinois loss was the lack of any physicality. And um Collins talked about it afterwards and, you know, you go back to Purdue, you look at, you know, the games that have happened since Illinois and, and those were games where the cats really took it to the other team. And they did that against Penn state. They did that against Wisconsin. It was, I mean, this was a scrappy, scrappy game. Um, Really excellent defense, taking charges, um, you know, putting their bodies on the line uh, throughout the game. I think what was, what was, difficult with the Wisconsin games the shooting was just really bad you know Boo was carrying the team in the first half and pretty much nobody else could buy a bucket um what you know they got Barnheiser going in the second half but there just wasn't this wasn't a enough secondary scoring um for them to ultimately prevail here I mean I think like like all told the Cats were extremely gritty just took Wisconsin out of their game. All their all of Wisconsin's best players, they really took them out of their game. Um, Klesman ended up going off for 24, which was a bit of a surprise. They were talking about that on the on the broadcast, but Wall was really contained. Um, AJ Store got got some run in the second half and had some success, particularly you know getting to the stripe. But the Cats did a great job on the road in an extremely hostile environment against the team that's you know uh, at the top of the table in the conference right now. And that's really. That's really commendable. Like I, I noticed, um, Nick Medline was commenting uh, in the first half of the game. Like the Cats looked tired. All their shorts were all their all their shots were short, hitting the front of the rim, etc. Um, but again, like the secondary scoring was a real problem. They just n- nobody could really effectively score outside of Boo, um, particularly from three point. Everything was missing. And Wisconsin was fifty percent from three, and Northwestern was twenty eight point six, and it was an eight point game. They had a they still still they had a shot. That's how good the defense was, and in, in this game and, and the grittiness, they had a shot down the stretch. Um, a, a, a call went. There was a no call on um, a Matt Nicholson. Uh, he went up for a dunk, uh, got his arm hit, and the ball ended up getting wedged between the the backboard and the hoop. And um, they didn't call the foul. Possession arrow ball stayed with Northwestern, and they ended up bad turnover on that possession and then a really bad turnover on the next possession. And that was all, that was all the window that Wisconsin needed just two really untimely turnovers that kind of undid their bid to, to, to try and win this game. But um, I think the, the positives coming out of this are the mentality of the team, the identity of the team coalescing and the, the big negative though is um, and we've talked about Barry as, as a kind of harbinger or, or, or bellwether for the team. When he's on, when he's shooting, things are looking good. I'm getting kind of concerned about Ryan Langborg. He's had a couple games now where he's just, he's just been real cold shooting. 
and um, hasn't been able to generate much offense beyond that. So I, hopefully he can snap out of it here as we as we start going forward. But um, I'd say you know Luke Hunger and, and his energy has been good. Nicholson had one of his best games maybe of the whole season um, here against Wisconsin. Uh, so I, like there's 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 some positives coming out of this, but um, I, I I I think you know that identity and then getting back in front of of the of the wild side is going to be huge for this team. They just play so much better at home um with that uh with that energy boost behind them yeah i think you made the good point too like winning on the road we went on the road twice in a row and got a split and like frankly like that's pretty good and like you were saying that's a that's pretty good yeah and and it definitely seemed in that let's say the, the back third of the first half when the roof was caving in like that game seemed like like everything that could go wrong for Northwestern was going wrong, right? And, like, in the run-up to halftime against Wisconsin, and they flushed it, and they pulled themselves right back into that game. And to your point, like, that they, they were in a position to get the win very late into that game. So, yeah, I mean, it's they've they've they definitely have checked the grit box over the past two games. And, yeah, like, like you said, you couple that with this, you know, three of the next four at home, like, that's that's probably pretty good to work with. Uh, yeah, Maryland coming up on Wednesday um, at Nebraska, a place where Purdue has gone and lost. Um, then home to try to at least make a respectable showing against Illinois. Watch them come out and just absolutely curb stomp Illinois at home. That'd be, that'd be absolutely fantastic. I'd love that. And then uh, Ohio State at home before hitting the road uh, to take on Purdue uh, in West Lafayette on January 31st uh, that takes us through the end of the month but uh, yeah I mean there, there's definitely winnable games there we're still in really good shape uh, three and two in conference 12 and four overall that's that, you know real solid and we just need to you know take care of our home court and you know get a few more road wins and we're gonna be we're gonna be in real good shape um, and real quick before we go uh, if you're listening to this uh, week it comes out we got something fun planned for this weekend I know it's a little late coming out, but um, it's going to be very, very exciting. John, uh, what do we we got cooking on Saturday? Well, we got to set the tone now, boys. You got to set the tone there. (laughs) Uh, Northwestern hockey, right? We've been wanting to get out to a Northwestern hockey, ice hockey game um, for a long time. Um, I think you guys know, like you've seen Sam and I rocking those unbelievable Chicago hockey jerseys, Northwestern hockey jerseys. At all the football games this fall, we have just been so excited um, to to put something together and to get out to a hockey game, and we're we're finally going to do it. So this Saturday at two two ten, I think is the official start time at the Robert Crown Community Center. Northwestern Hockey's taking on Indiana in ice hockey, um, so that is a Big Ten matchup. And I know the Wild Side is going to be coming out for that game. I think it's it's like Evanston Hockey Day, so there's going to be a nice crowd. And we're going to be there, and you all should come out, as many of them you as can. Um, get to the Robert Crown Community Center in Evanston. Let's watch some Northwestern hockey. This is something that the other two gentlemen on this podcast have wanted to manifest into existence for so long. And and the ability to say, I know it's, it's not D1, but still, this is Northwestern hockey. And uh, that with uh, a rowdy Wildcat crowd should be pretty awesome. I think if we uh, go out there and make a really, really good showing and show that there is support for Northwestern hockey, then maybe we can 
progress things to the next level. I'm trying to manifest this as hard as I can. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, definitely looking to look forward to seeing as many people out there as possible. We'll, uh, you know, maybe see if we can get some sticks afterwards. Because yeah, know. sticks all around, boys. Let's do it. Sticks are great, man. Sticks are great. Sticks are incredible. Uh, so with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there uh, for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at Pirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the West Lot of Ryan Field flying the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John Lacombe and Eric Skazboy and Sam Walter, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.